how basically Jesus is out and he's doing his ministry work and he has been hanging out with the unpopular crowd, the pe- crowd that people don't like. He's been hanging out with the tax collectors, which is really like a traitor to their own people because they're charging, charging way too much money and pocketing a lot themselves and then giving the government what the government uh, gets, which is Rome at that time. So he's hanging out with those people and people don't like that. Um, he's healing people, doing things that um, the religious leaders have not been able to do. Uh, and he's really living this Christian life, this gospel message uh, in a totally different way that they've never seen, that they've never heard before. And part of the story was that before Jesus came on the scene was this guy, John the Baptist, right, that was in the wilderness. And John the Baptist was there. And he was out there with his uh, fashionable wardrobe, you know, with his leather belt. And he probably didn't a lot and he's eating wild locusts and honey and he's kind of like a crazy guy um, probably like we said before socially awkward just kind of weird but nonetheless he's out there and his message is to prepare the way for the way of the Lord that was his message he's kind of like Jesus Christ forerunner the guy who's coming before that's just like laying the groundwork before Jesus shows up and then one day sure enough Jesus comes over the hill um, and it kind of freezes John. He's like, oh my, the Lamb of God, the one we've been talking about, like the one I'm supposed to come before, like there he is. Here he is among us. And then, uh, you know, Jesus comes and he baptizes Jesus. And John is even hesitant to that. And he's like, no, we have to do this thing. And then when Jesus rises up out of the water, it says that God, spoke, uh, God speaks. And he says, uh, this is my son, you know, whom I will please, you know, do what he says. And people there hear, and it says that the Spirit descends like a dove. And it's this like amazing moment. So what happens is as Jesus is going through his ministry, Jesus is kind of getting popular. So momentum is building because he's ruffling feathers. He's doing things I've never seen. But yet John the Baptist, his life almost seems to be going backward if we're just to look at it through our own kind of human eyes. Because he ends up in prison, and really everybody kind of deserts him. And then it's kind of like, what? How does it work out, you know, for a man like that setting the way for Christ and then he just like, kind of ends up in prison alone? And it seems like Christ is kind of in this other place. And so John the Baptist, it kind of confused him. And so last week we talked about how confusion and expectations are going to be a huge part of our life, especially when we believe that there's this God who runs everything and who's in charge of everything. And in his word it says his ways are so much higher than our ways and his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. We're going to be confused by expectations and the way things happen in life. We certainly are. John the Baptist was. He's sitting in prison and he's like, what's going on? So he sent some of his close kind of friends, they call them disciples, sent some of his close disciples to Jesus and said, hey listen, um, are you that guy that we were waiting for? Are you the Messiah we were waiting for? Because I thought you were, but then now I'm here in prison and things are going a little bit differently than I expected. I thought you'd just show up and we'd just make you king and you would take over. And it doesn't really seem to be going like that. And so last week we talked a lot about that. And so when those disciples came up to Jesus, that was the earlier part in chapter 11, when the disciples came up to Jesus and said, Hey, listen, here's the message John wants to know. And Jesus said, Hey, listen, I am the one. And then basically he goes through explaining what he's been doing and about how he really is evidenced by 
the things that he's been doing. And so we pick up like mid-story where Jesus has just really validated who John the Baptist is, what he's been doing. Yes, he's the real deal. The message is still the same. It could be confusing because where I'm at and where he's at looks different. But it's true that we all have different paths and purposes in Christ and in this life. And if the deal is all glory goes to him, it shouldn't matter a whole heck of a lot where our paths might take us. It doesn't mean that would be easy for us to take, but it means there's more going on to the story than what we know. So we pick up in the middle of the story. In, uh, in verse 20. So let's take a look at verse 20 and see what Jesus is saying. So just after he got finished confirming about who John the Baptist was, we pick up in verse 20. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. And he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths if the miracles are performed in you had been performed in Sodom. It will remain uh, to this day. But I tell you, that will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So what the heck is going on? What is Jesus talking about? Uh, the title of the message uh, is U-Turn. Alright? U-Turn. And um, I don't know uh, about you, but I am the type of driver that I'm not afraid to make a U-Turn. And sometimes it's in appropriate places and sometimes it's not in appropriate places. Um, and uh, sometimes you just got to get to where you're going, but you try and do it in a safe way. Right? Try and do it in a safe way. But U-turn is what we're talking about because Jesus is continuing to talk about this main theme. And he's staying on this theme because it's so important. What's important to Jesus? Forgiveness, love, humility, patience, right? There's another big word in there that's not quite as sexy, for lack of a better term, than these other words. This other term is repentance. That one's not so popular, and we don't really like that one really a whole heck of a lot than the other ones. But it's extremely important. It's got to be a critical mark of the Christian. Uh, there's this old Anglican priest who tells a story um, of this guy who uh, owed money to the government because he did not pay you know, his, his taxes the way he was supposed to. And so he sent a check to the government with a note on it. He sends a check to the government with a note on it, uh, and the check said, and the note says, "I sent this check. I felt really bad that I have not paid all my taxes." And then he goes on to say, "If I still don't feel any better, I'll send you the rest." Right? Yes, he did. Right? Because he was just doing it just to appease the feeling, like he knew it was wrong and he felt kind of bad about it. So he's going to send some in. Hopefully, maybe that would take care of kind of a little bit of the guilt that he was dealing with. And then, if it didn't, he would really do the right thing, which he should have done in the beginning, which is just pay the entire monies, right? And we talked about last week about how that's kind of like what repentance is. That one of the best definitions of repentance is like that little girl from Sunday school class who said, repentance is 
when you're sorry enough to quit. When you're sorry enough to quit. Right? And so we're going to look at some of that today because Jesus continues to talk about that. So we really talk about two things um, regarding repentance and a bunch of other things kind of wrapped into that. But here's one phrase that I want you to kind of think about. Probably be a good idea to write down, but at least think about and say, you know, what is Jared talking about? Because I think this kind of summarizes where Jesus is coming from. So uh, the sentence is, an experience with Jesus is not the same as living for Jesus. An experience with Jesus is not the same as living for Jesus. So what does that mean? What are we talking about? An experience, right? Maybe somebody's had an experience. They've gone somewhere. Maybe they're like in some sort of prayer time. Maybe they're away um, on a trip or on a retreat. Or maybe they're in a church service. And they had an experience. Like their eyes were kind of open and they had just a strong sense. Or maybe physically like, you know, they got the goosebumps going on, you know. And something happened. They had an experience. Like, wow, I had this experience with God. Like something was different about that. It touched me. Some people maybe never have. Maybe some people have. But it's important to know that that experience that maybe has happened with some people does not mean necessarily that they're actually living for Jesus. Well, how could that happen? Well, that's what we're going to take a look at in this passage. So, uh, verse 20, where we started. Let's take a look at it. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles has been, have been performed because they did not repent. Right? Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles have been performed because they did not repent. So here's the first part of the passage that we're going to focus on today is number one, Jesus wants to get across that there is more. Right? There is more than just experiences and maybe miracles that could even happen. And we could even just pause there because um, that's pretty amazing in and of itself to just be around a significant godly experience that maybe has changed someone's life, changed somebody's heart, changed somebody's character, just come in and rearrange everything. That's amazing. Or if somebody has been a part of a miracle in any way. And if you ever spend any time and you're curious about miracles and about maybe... Supernatural type things. There's plenty of books. There's plenty of YouTube videos. There's plenty of situations. Maybe some of them are real. Maybe some of them are not. But if you look around for a while, you'll start to see which ones would be coming from God and which ones wouldn't be. But they made the mistake that because Jesus was there in their town. So if Jesus showed up to Naugatuck, right? He showed up to Naugatuck. He was here. Imagine Jesus in Naugatuck. And Naugatuck has not been getting a lot of good press these days, right? I mean, it just hasn't been looking very good. The high school football coach is in a lot of trouble. We missed out on the renovation of the whole downtown. We had oil spilled in the river like last week. I mean, just not a lot of great things going on in the press. So we need Jesus in Naugatuck. So let's say he shows up. Sal asks him to show up. He shows up. So Jesus shows up and he starts working in the town. 
say he hangs out on the town green. People just start coming up to him. He just starts talking. He's doing miracles. Um, he's healing people on the spot. He's radically different, just changing things. Some of those people that maybe were touched and healed and changed, they might be under the impression that now I'm right before God. Like that never would happen unless God was happy with me. And so that's why it happened. And what Jesus is saying, listen, no, that's not necessarily the case. I love people, period. I want to heal them. I want to bless them. I want to be there for them. But as far as being with me eternally forever, that's almost a totally different ballgame. And they were kind of confused about that. They're like, well, Jesus showed up here. He's around with us. He's healing us. So that must mean, like, we're good. Right, God? Like, we're good. We're, we're part of, like, the good ones here. Like, you wouldn't come here if, if we, you know, weren't all going to be in heaven with you together. Because they received the presence. They received Him being there, what He was doing, and what uh, the working that He was doing but they did not repent to Jesus' authority. That's a big one. So they received him, but the rest of his message was, listen, like you have to repent now because the God that healed you, that did that impossible thing in your life, that created this experience, he's also requiring a holy way of living. And you're not going to know all the details why, but trust me, it's worth it, and he wants you to. That's the part of the message they really like. They like the healing part and the miracles, and like, yes, like feeling good and having God change things. But as far as that repent aspect, they did not really like it. And so Jesus is warning them. Because remember, this is on the heels of John the Baptist's disciples kind of like uh, asking him, hey, listen, are you the guy? And he's like, yes, I am. And John the Baptist was right. And it's like Jesus realized it was a teaching moment. And if you've been around kids or have kids, you know there's, bless you, there's teaching moments. Right? You recognize these. A good parent will do that. And he says, all these people are here, this is a teaching moment. He says, woe to you. And it's more accurately translated, warning. I don't know, it's like old like car alarms, like those Viper car alarms you get in there, it's like, warning, warning, you know, like really obnoxious type of thing. People that smile, they know what I'm talking about, right? So warning, warning, as like you get close, and Jesus is like, listen, warning to you. Be careful. Be very careful. Because these miracles that were done here doesn't mean everybody's good. And it says, this warning is coming to you because you did not repent. Because that's what it comes down to. Repentance. That's what's so important. So the question is, why? Why is repentance so important? Really, what is it? Well, in Matthew 4.17, Matthew 4.17, Jesus stole, plagiarized, really borrowed, emphasized, enhanced, right? I used bad terms to describe it. But what he did was enhanced John the Baptist's message. That was his message. This was John the Baptist's message. It says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was what John the Baptist said. That was his message. Preparing the way for the Lord 
And while he was there, everybody showed up at the Jordan River, or maybe we could think of it like the Nagi River, and he would be down there and say, listen, repent, change your life. God is not far away. And he's demanding something different than what you're used to. And people would just show up. And they're like, really? What do I do? What's wrong? How come? And he would explain that and go through that and people would get baptized there. And when Jesus came on the scene, he didn't change the message. Only He just changed one part of it. I am the Messiah, but I'm keeping with the same message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is actually right here, right now. Like, he's here. Like, I am here now. So he never changed it. He kept with it. But again, what is repentance? What is it? What is it? Well, repentance um, comes from the Greek word metaneo. Metaneo. So you got your language in for the day. Metaneo means to change mind, change direction, have remorse. That's why the title of the message is called U-Turn. A U-Turn is like, oh man, I'm going the wrong way. I got to pull a quick U-E, you know, and come back. And sometimes that's not allowed in certain places. But you go down, you take a U-turn, right? That's what repentance is. Change your mind, change direction, have remorse, and according to that little girl from Sunday school, be sorry enough not to do it again. It's important to note that it's a little different than a confession. Right? Confession, you could really admit something, and maybe a lot of times confessions happen after you've already been caught with your hand in the jar or with whatever it was. You've already been caught. I've been caught. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry. But it's certainly another entirely different thing to not get caught, confess you did something wrong, surprise the other person because they didn't know, and then say, I'm going to try not to do that again. That's a whole nother level. whole nother level. I don't see that level a lot being a high school math teacher. I just don't see it a lot. I constantly have to catch their hands in the cookie jars. And then once they're in there, they look at me, Mr. Murphy, I didn't do it. And they're like elbow deep. It's like, wow, wow. And I don't think it's really a lot different than us adults. I just think that we get older and we get better at hiding it. That's what I think. That's what I think. I think we become really good at hiding it. And that was one of Jesus' big messages on Sermon on the Mount. Hey, listen, it might look pretty nice on the outside, but I know what you're like on the inside and why you're doing these things. So why does God ask us to have this thing of repentance? Why this message? Why is it so important? Number one, so that we can be saved. That's why repentance. First one, right there so we can be saved, so we can be eternally with Jesus, be eternally in heaven. Because here's what it says. Peter, after Jesus had left, and the church just got its beginning, just got its start. How did the church even start? Right? It's when Jesus left, and what we believe the Holy Spirit came down on this earth. That's when the church started. That was the church's birthday. Pentecost. So Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Again, same message. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So why repent? So that we can receive forgiveness for our sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's what I have done. That's what people who believe in Christ 
and have a relationship with Him have done. They've said, listen, I could live this life my way. I could do that. And for some people, they have done that for a long time and gone down their track and they've seen, they've seen where it leads. Other people have said, I don't want to really do it on my own, on my own track because I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. And I think there's something bigger than me out there. And I think it's a loving God. And so what they say is they make a U-turn in their life and they say, God, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I believe in the cross. I believe in Jesus. I'm not quite sure how to carry it out. And I'm definitely not perfect in any way. But I want to commit my life to you and commit my family to you. That's numero uno, most important. Boom, right there. That's the prayer. That's the attitude. That's the mindset that Jesus, that the Bible says, gets us into heaven. That's it right there. That's number one. Repentance. Huge. Basically just admitting that God is who he says he is. And that I'm going to try and follow in line. Not that I will be perfect, but I'm going to do the best that I can. Even if there's a really good football game on, I'm going to do the best that I can to be faithful, right? So, why does God ask us to do this? Number one, so that we can be saved. So that we can spend eternity with Him. That's, that's the cornerstone. That's the mark right there. That's where it all begins. That's what opens the door. Otherwise, the door is shut. Because we just say, no, I think, no, I don't, I don't really want to give you that part, God. And no, I don't want to do that. We repent, we open the door and let God come in. One other reason. Number two, why does God ask us to repent? To allow for the refining work of the Holy Spirit. Remember we said the Holy Spirit came? That was the church's birthday on Pentecost. And so it said that when we repent and we say, God, I want to live for you, help me. I don't know what to do next. It says that in that moment, so the Bible says in that moment, whether we feel it or not, some people have a story about this, some people don't, that the Holy Spirit, this God that's like around, comes and lives inside each one of us. How does that happen? That's a good question. Not real sure. But that's what it says. It says that Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And once it's there, in 2 Timothy, it says those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the Master, and prepared to do any good work. So why does God ask us to repent? Number one, so we can be saved. Number two, once we get saved and we commit our lives, it's a whole life to live. There's a family to lead. There's friends. There's jobs. There's careers. There's decisions to be made. And what we're called to do, what God says for us to do is, hey, listen, do it in such a way to where you can bring honor to my name, honor to your family, to where you can open up doors of blessings for you and your loved ones, and where you can see me work, and in some cases, do the impossible. So the first part to even get there is that repent in the beginning and be saved. And then the second part is a daily surrender. Which, in other words, is just daily repentance. Because it's never just a one-time deal where we're just like, okay, God, um, I, uh, I'm sorry I was impatient and uh, I'm going to try not to do that again. It's going to come up again maybe in 10 minutes. 
or another issue will come up where you were selfish or another issue will come up where you made a bad decision or another issue will come up you know where uh, you know the list just on and on and the deal is not to have us try and become perfect the deal is is that when those things happen that Holy Spirit that now lives inside of us because of that decision we made is going to say hey listen that's actually not a good way to do that that's not a wise thing to do and then it's up to us. Okay, am I going to say that again? Am I going to look at that again? Am I going to let my mind go to those thoughts again? And if we don't, it says we're going to be made holy, useful to the Master and prepared to do any good work. We're going to position ourselves to experience a life that we never would have experienced before. So repentance is huge. It saves us. And then once we're saved, we've got to live through this life. And the only way a Christian does it is through the guidance of God. That's what we believe. And we can only do that when we have the doors fully open and we say, God, come on in. It's going to hurt when you start pruning some things and moving some things around. And I'm probably going to kick and scream the whole time because I'm a baby. At least I am. I don't know about you. And I do a lot of kicking and screaming. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I'm trying to be faithful here. Why is this so difficult? Right? These are real prayers. These are things God needs to hear. Because we need to go to that place and we need to tell Him that so that way He has now access because we made ourselves vulnerable and let's see what He's going to do. If it's always like, eh, I take God up to this point, but that's like my safe zone and I don't go past my safe zone, you know, then, well, your Christian faith is just going to really going to be kind of shallow, really. And when the rubber hits the road, you'll probably just go back to old patterns, old decisions, instead of coming into a new life and a new way of doing things. And I'm in the position or uh, place now in life, you know, where I got a little guy to think about. And that little guy's going to grow up and he's going to be influenced heavily by me and my wife and what we do and what we say and what goes on. And if he has another brother or sister, you know, we've got to set a model. And, and then I'm also at school around kids. I mean, we have all these influences around us. And if I have repentance to Christ where it just, I just come to Him and I try and leave that door always open, He's going to be doing more than I can even hope or imagine. And I'll be led into conversations and into places that just normally would not happen. Just normally would not happen. So that was the first part. Jesus coming. He says, listen, warning, warning. Whoa, hold up. I was here. I did this stuff. I know that. But you guys are in trouble. Because now, you're accountable for that. Like, I came. I touched you. I changed things. You experienced this. Not everybody's getting this opportunity right now. And like you're just throwing it away. So the second part Jesus is trying to hit home, verses 21-24, is light accountability. What do I mean by that? Light accountability. It's really, I should have put quotes around the light. Because the Bible refers to Jesus as the light. He's the light. He's the light. So when we repent, we ask God to come into our hearts and into our lives. It says that now He comes in, and the way He shows this thing is like by shining light in certain areas. Where maybe once we may have been in darkness and ignorance and been like, I didn't even know that was bad. I didn't even know that was a bad decision. Or that wasn't maybe healthy. It wasn't necessarily a bad thing, 
But it wasn't really a thing God really wanted me to go after. So he shines that light. These people had light accountability. The light came there and it shone like a huge spotlight. Wouldn't you just think like if Jesus showed up to Naugatuck and kind of lived like this or he showed up to Connecticut or your hometown or wherever and he functioned like this? A part of me is like, man, people would just respond. They would just respond. Yes, okay, I guess you are real. Alright, here's my life. Let's do this thing. I would just think that people would do that. Apparently, that's just not the case. There's still the others that just like, no, I don't want any part of it. I still want my own life. I still want to do what I want to do. Jesus is difficult and messy. Eh. Pick up my cross daily. Eh. No thanks. No thanks. So they have light accountability. And what he does, he calls out these towns. So he says, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. And we don't really have to know exactly where they are. Important thing that we have to know is that they experienced Jesus in amazing ways. But again, like we said, an experience with Jesus is not the same as living for Him. And Jesus knew that. And that's what He was trying to get home to them. Just because you had that experience and we were there and something happened, doesn't mean you're living for me. It means I tried to make it really clear to you who I am. But now it's up to you. What are you going to do? So to close is really only one question. To close, it's really only one question. How much light will I allow into my life? How much light? With the quotes. How much light of Jesus would I actually allow into my life? It's a pretty important question. And only each of us really knows how we would answer that. You know, some people, I don't know, this might be the first time ever. For some people, man, anytime I let that light shine in, it seems like my life gets worse. It gets more complicated and more stressful. Do I want that? For some people, yes, yes, give me more. But that's an important question to ask and be honest about. Like, how much? Because how you answer that will really influence how your faith is carried out in your life. It really will. And I think that no matter how you would answer that honestly, it's a ton of value in repeating that back to God. God, we thought about that question in church today. How much light will I allow in my life? I don't know if I want to let any in. Or today's a bad day. But uh, maybe tomorrow we can you know, look at this again. But be honest with God about it. Or I don't know. Or I'm scared. Or I'm not sure. Or I feel like I'm not worth it. These are the prayers that matter and that God wants to hear. Because Jesus, what he was really trying to hit home was this whole issue of personal holiness and external holiness. And like I said before, I think that you know, as we become adults, we just become really good at hiding things. And so externally, we could do a lot of things to make ourselves seem like we're like these good people. And then in some circles it matters, you know, that, oh, they're a good Christian, you know. They, they go serve and, you know, they give their money, they give their time. Seems like they're really nice. They always got a smile on in church. You know, they never fight with their kids in church. I don't know how that happens, you know. And, but inwardly, 
You know, it's just not where it should be. It just doesn't match up. And that was a big thing for Jesus. That was one of his crutch of his message, right? The hypocrite issue was huge for him. And so the same question is for us, though. Like, how much light would we actually let into our lives? And if Jesus were here, and he did do those works, and he was there in Nagi, would we, you know, would our friends, would our neighbors and family, you know, would they repent? Would this town be guilty of something like that? I don't know. I bet some people would. And really the personal question is, if you've ever had an experience or thought or a time with Jesus, we're accountable for that. What we do with it matters. It's kind of scary to think when we get into heaven someday, we live in America, in the U.S. I mean, there's Bibles everywhere. we got the internet. I mean, you can go on Bible Gateway and Blue Letter Bible and you can go on these webs. I mean, you can, you can listen to pastors talk all day long. There's stuff everywhere in abundance. And then you read or hear stories of missionaries in China who have like maybe, you know, five or six psalms. And it's only because they copied it down from a Bible that they had illegally. And they just sit there and just read it. And they pray on it. It's amazing. So how much more accountable was the U.S. going to be? You know, people in our position where there's an abundance of light material out there. There really is. The question is, what are we going to do with it for sure? So uh, what we're going to do is uh, we'll close with that last song, Be Thou My Vision, and then we'll come back together, stand and pray.